Hello, hello, welcome back. My name's George. Uh, it's my privilege to preach to you this morning uh, from the Bible. Uh, we're going to be talking from Matthew 10, verses 1 to 33, and we've got a video to read it to us. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the labourer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to court to flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. Wonderful, wonderful short passage for us there. Um, <laughs> 
Let me just pray for us before we get started. Um, Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your word and I thank you so much for your son. And I pray that he would speak loudly to us, um, to those of us that would say that we know you and to those of us that would um, be on our journey towards you. I pray, Lord God, you'd be with us and be speaking to us. Amen. Amen. So we have been going through Matthew for the last few weeks and months and slowly, just a few um, line by line, just taking all the treasure we can out of it. And one of the great themes that comes out of it um, is the theme of the kingdom of heaven. And this passage is no different. The kingdom is here. It's one of Matthew's great burdens. It's one of his um, things he wants his readers to definitely know as they go through the theme of the kingdom coming. The power balance on earth has shifted, says Matthew. Jesus coming is not just a guy, but he is um, heralding a kingdom. He's heralding a change, a shift of the guard and a power shift. Nothing will ever be the same, says Matthew, because of the power of this man, Jesus, and the kingdom he brings forth. This concept of power, though, can be slightly problematic for us and spark something of a debate. Uh, Many scholars and journalists and political scientists, people like that, have discussed the definition of power. What does power look like? How do I know what power is? And if you go down the list, like a tick list, power is this, power is that, one of the things that many people would argue power is, is insecure, is insecure. So wherever you find power, you find insecurity, whether that's on an individual level, if you're a king, a prime minister, or a president, uh, whether that's on a corporate level as uh, an institution, a nation, or a government. Power does not, is not found without insecurity right next to it. And uh, it doesn't take long when looking at politics today or looking at history to find examples of this. Um, So one example is, uh, in 2018, the the Chinese government banned a terrifying new rebel. They banned Winnie the Pooh. Um, People have started a trend of uh, doing a meme or a picture of him next uh, next to the Chinese prime minister as a way of like lightly mocking him. They said he looked like him. And... um, The Chinese government had absolutely nothing to do with this. When the film Christopher Robin came out um, last year, I think it's kind of a live-action Winnie the Pooh, um, they didn't let it happen. They said, no, you can't do that here. And you will find many examples of of censorship. You can Google it, of Winnie the Pooh, like his face being scrubbed out, like he's some sort of um, dangerous um, rebel or something. Um, What does the leader of one of the world's great superpowers have to fear from a lovable, honey-addicted, trouser-forgetting kids cartoon character? Apparently, enough to censor it out. One of the most powerful men in the world, made insecure by Winnie the Pooh. Um, I guess you could say he couldn't bear it. Yes! Yes to that response. I was like 50-50 on saying it. That's amazing. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, There are... I'm just not going to top that, am I? There are loads of other examples in history as well. So in the year AD 69, it's known by historians as the year of four emperors, uh, amazingly because there was four emperors. Um, And these, uh, just in one year, the most powerful men in the world couldn't hold on to their job. So it was one emperor, then he was deposed, and then another one, and he was deposed, and then another one. With all the power and influence and guards and things and money that they had, they weren't able to hold on to their power. Such is the insecurity of it. And there are examples of it in the Bible as well. Uh, In a famous story uh, that you might have heard around um, sort of Christmas time, although we tend to maybe avoid it, um, a king called Herod hears rumours of a new king that's going to be born. He hears hints, and the, the wise men actually tell him. And such is the depth of his insecurity in his power that he horrifically massacres every child in the region under the age of two. And Jesus only just manages to escape. That's the depth of the insecurity in this man. It takes a little rumour 
just a little just hint of his power being usurped, um, and he's willing to commit the mass murder of babies. Now, I hope that's uh, none of our personal experience of power, but we don't get too far looking at other people and judging them without finding that actually this problem lies within ourselves as well. Um, whether it's a uh, promotion at work, a responsibility at home, maybe, maybe even a, a position at church, um, we, we know that immediately, well, at least I do find this, and I hope it's not just me, as soon as I'm given any kind of responsibility, there's an element of insecurity that comes with it, like an imposter syndrome. Am I really meant to be here? If you really knew me, then, uh, then you'd give it to someone else. And we feel the need to kind of um, consolidate our power, even in small kind of insignificant um, or seemingly insignificant places. We feel the need to be even slightly cutthroat ourselves. And it can be tempting just to give up on power. We see it corrupting those um, above us. We see it corrupting officials and government. And we see it actually in the depths of our hearts being something that is, um, in, makes us insecure and uh, corrupts us. So sometimes we, we feel maybe we, we don't want it. We just get rid of it. No, actually, give it to someone else. I'll just be me. I'll look after myself. I'm good, thanks. I don't want any of this power stuff. Um, but we can't deny that actually we recognize um, that it takes power to make change, doesn't it? It's logical. The the more influence you have, the more authority you have, the more power you have, the more ability you have to do good. And we do feel, don't we, those those people that are in control of us that have power, they kind of owe us doing good. We expect them to do good with the responsibility given to them. So we're kind of stuck in a catch-22. We know power is an insecure thing, it's corrupting, but we also know that it's needed and it's necessary. Um, Jesus here bucks the trend when it comes to power. He shows us what secure, perfect authority looks like. The kingdom has come, the king is here, and what does he do with his power? Um, In verse one, it says that he gave them authority. He shares his authority with his disciples. This is a great commissioning of them, giving them uh, authority to go out, proclaim the kingdom, and heal the sick, etc. And um, such is his complete security and authority in himself, in who he is, in his own power and his own position, that he is able to share it. None of this power grabbing with Jesus, none of this consolidation of power. He knows who he is and he's willing to share his power and such power and authority. It goes on to say his power to heal every disease and every affliction. There is nothing outside the bounds of God's power in his disciples. All that we've seen Jesus do we've, um, as we've journeyed through Matthew, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. He's saying to his disciples, go and do what I've been doing. He's not being precious about it. He's not saying, I'm actually the healing guy around here. Um, you kind of follow me and you clap me. And maybe if there's a paper cut or something, you do that, but I'll do the big stuff. No, he's saying, everything I've been doing, all this healing, you come and you do it as well. In fact, Jesus is recording his saying in, uh, as saying in John's gospel, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. It's verses like these and promises like these that give us confidence as we go into our new series and we tackle massive topics like anxiety and what's on the mind of Brighton and mental health. We don't wanna be flippant about it or ignorant about it, but we can be confident. We can be confident we've been given authority to heal every disease um, and (laughs) and every affliction. We can be confident in what Jesus has given us, that we have been shared in the authority of Christ. It says in Romans 5.17 that we are reigning with him. It's not even just he's given us like a magic trick to go out and heal people. We're reigning. We're sharing in his authority. Jesus is a solution to the power problem. 
to our catch-22, both in the fact that he is power perfected. We say every power is insecure in some way. He is the example of when it isn't. And both in the fact that when we look for power ourselves, look for empowerment, we find that true empowerment is only achievable in the one who has complete sovereign power. To have good, good influence, good power, effect change, we ultimately need power from him. So as we finish this preaching series and we launch into the um, autumn term, which is obvious, um, often our busiest term, we talk about um, relaunching the church. We use that kind of language. That's how much, you know, the summer's a bit quieter. People are away on holiday. Students come back. People move to the city. We almost relaunch the church as we go into the autumn. We go with the secure authority of Christ given to us. Jesus' power is secure and complete. When he announces his kingdom is here, he means it. But the kingdoms he displaces are not happy. So when the kingdom of heaven comes, when this is heralded throughout the whole of Matthew, it displaces other kingdoms. Um, I heard someone speak on this recently and he gave the example of like a bowl of water and a rock. And when you drop the rock into the water, the water who was happily just filling out the whole bucket before is immediately displaced and can't do anything about it. The denser, heavier material takes the place of the water. And it's like that with the kingdom. The perfect kingdom, the perfect power comes, other powers must flee whether it's the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, losing their control over people with their extra laws, Um, whether it's leprosy being removed from someone's body or thousands of demons being expelled from a man in a single word. Other powers are immediately displaced by the kingdom coming. But just as dropping a rock into a bucket, we can expect a splashback. We can expect resistance. Um, a lot of the, the passage we heard read out to us, 10.16 talks about this. Um, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And a bit later on, it says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. As a pep talk, commissioning his crack squad of disciples to go and change the world. This is an interesting tactic. Jesus is up front saying, almost painfully, obviously, uh, this is going to suck. As the kingdom that you bring, um, as the kingdom that you bring displaces other kingdoms, gonna be, there's going to be splashback. There's going to be resistance. And this is not kind of out of character for Jesus. In John 16, 3, he says this to his disciples. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. We love the promises of, of God, particularly of, uh, of Jesus as well. Um, and we, you know, there's famous ones. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope and a future. Ones like, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And we love them. They're life-giving. We, you know, get them written on our fridge and tattooed in Hebrew on our arm. Well, I haven't done that, but um, I hear people do that. Um, um, I wonder if we'll ever get this one tattooed on our arm. Sometimes things will suck. Yeah, in this life, you will have trouble. That's going to happen. I don't want that kind of negativity in my life, Jesus. Don't speak that over me. Um, Where's the hope in that, that things are going to suck? But it's true. And this promise is just as life-giving to us as all the others. Now, naturally, the uh, persecution um, that the disciples were going to face is a bit different to ours. For them, um, the barriers to them sharing the kingdom and and going out and praying for people uh, were more external barriers. You know, things like floggings and persecution. And for many, if not all of them, death. For us in England, in a relatively tolerant and peaceful time, our barriers to proclaiming the kingdom are more eternal. uh, Eternal? Internal. 
barriers. Fear. Our persecution can come from the kind of feeling of fear of what people will think of you, that we're advocating for an old-fashioned, out-of-date, and actually even immoral religion. I wonder, going into a new autumn term, for those of us that do profess faith in Jesus, what is it that might cripple you? What is it that might stop you from inviting people to, on a Sunday or asking to pray for someone? Um, I wonder if it is that fear of people, if that strikes a chord in any of us. I, I know it is in me. In this passage, Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go out and proclaim his kingdom. And I believe today, for some of us, it can be a, a recommissioning. Maybe you've been experiencing some of the resistance Jesus is talking about, some of the suffering. Maybe you've let fear creep in and cripple you. Maybe you're just looking for a comfortable, easy life. You know, culturally, with medicine and technology where it is, um, we can probably trick ourselves into thinking that life can be without trouble if we really try. Jesus here is saying the solution to scary things, um, the solution uh, to trouble, the solution to fear is not to big ourselves up, um, but it's to look at him. The end of that verse, he says, um, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We need not fear the world, for we know the one who has overcome it, who has won for us hope beyond the grave, in whose perfect power we can rest and be secure. In this life, you will have trouble. And we should know that and we should be mature about it. We should expect it and not be surprised when um, things go wrong. But it doesn't end there. It ends when we look at Jesus, the one who is in all power and all sovereignty, and we can be secure in Take heart, says Jesus. I have overcome the world. So in this uh, long passage, Jesus is talking, as he has in the whole of Matthew, about the kingdom coming, telling us to go and proclaim it. Um, he's talking about the resistance we can expect when another kingdom comes. And thirdly, and we're going to spend the rest of our time here, he is, he's really looking um, for a decision. So he's saying the kingdom is here. Expect resistance. Are you with me? Are you with me? Interestingly, in verse four, Matthew, when he's listing out the disciples, says Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Why does Matthew specify this? Like narratively, it's quite a, a bad idea. If you're writing a, a detective novel, for example, and it's a whodunit, who killed the person, if you started off with Jim, who did the murder, and you just wouldn't read it to the end, you know what's coming. So if he wants us to stay on our toes, to get to the Last Supper, and Jesus says, one of you will betray me, and we're going, oh, who is it? Is it Matthew? Is it Peter? It'd be weird if Matthew betrayed him and then wrote the book. It's so probably not him, but like, it's like a tension thing. What's going on? Um, but, um, but he doesn't. He says it right here. What's his point? Is he just distinguishing from the other Judas? There are two Judases. I always felt really sorry for the other one. Um, just like tarnishes your name a bit. Um, Hi, I'm Judas. No, not that one. No, the good one. Please, I... <laughs> Yeah, just there are good Judases too. It's quite a common name actually in Israel. So if you can stop that, that'd be great. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe it's that, or maybe he wants us to see that you can be this close to Jesus. See miracles, even maybe do miracles and miss it and miss it. Judas is in the gang of people, these 12 disciples that Jesus is commissioning as he says all these awesome things too. And yet he goes on to betray them. And more importantly, betray Jesus. Because even in the group of 12 men that go on to change the world, that write a lot of this Bible, that go on to, you know, the, the effects of what they did, we still feel today, even in that group, he's not saved by proxy. He's not changed on the inside by those he hangs around with. 
He's not changed by the fact he goes to church or the family he's born into. Verse 32, Jesus says, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Every one. Every one who acknowledges me. There's a personal decision each of us has to make. Jesus is making a distinction here. He says, those who acknowledge him and those who don't. There's those who say and believe that he is the son of God and those who don't. There are those that in agreement are in agreement with what he says about himself and those who aren't. Those that know him and those to whom he'll say, I never knew you. We read um, a few weeks ago, Matthew 7, 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does my will, does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Judas is the perfect example of this. He follows Jesus, his whole sort of ministry and career. He even goes out and does the things, does the miracles. And yet at the end of his days, he betrays Jesus. I wonder what it was like for Judas when he did eventually get to heaven. When he was in this situation, Jesus is describing and he stands before the father and says, I was, I was with you, Jesus. Do you remember that? I, I was, was following the other people when they went out and they did miracles. I even, I even joined in. I wonder if Jesus turned to him and said, I, I never knew you. There's two sides to this. For those of us that know Jesus, there is amazing encouragement that as we acknowledge him on earth, as we go about um, doing his will, as we go about proclaiming his kingdom, we can rest assured that when we get to heaven, Jesus will say, Jesus will say he's with me. She's with me, I know you come in. There's also something of a despair and a fear for those who don't know Jesus. There's a warning here. Jesus is saying, if you acknowledge me, I'll acknowledge you. If you don't, I won't. See, it's all about knowing Jesus. All these amazing things that um, Jesus is telling them to go do and through them, us. It all starts with acknowledging who he is and having a right understanding of his glory. See, Jesus, um, Judas might have been witnessing. He might have been healing people and doing all he was told to do, but he didn't really know Jesus. He didn't really acknowledge him and who he is. What a perfect example that doing this stuff, doing works is the language we use, doesn't really save you. It's about who your loyalty is with. All the exciting things we are called to do as Christians stem from our right acknowledgement of Jesus. It stems from this personal relationship with him. He says, verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. It starts with your relationship with him. It starts with those times where you go into your room, you shut the door and you find your father who is in secret. It starts with what he speaks to you in the quiet place. It starts from acknowledging him as Lord of your life each and every day. It starts with when you come to church and you take communion and you hear the word and you hear things with your brothers and sisters as the body of Christ. It starts there. It all starts with the relationship 
with Jesus. We can't step, o- step over this important step like Judas did and just jump straight to the stuff. In fact, we should stay here for a while. And that's what we do when we come to church, right? We stay with Jesus. We enjoy him. We listen to him. I love the phrase um, whispered, what you hear whispered. He's talking his, to his disciples here. He's saying the things I just said to the 12 of us, it was just between us. Now you go and say that to the world. He's saying, the things I was so close to you that I had to whisper. Now you go and you proclaim that to the world. The Jesus you know in your personal life with him, in your corporate life in the church, is a Jesus that you can proclaim to others. When we have fear of what we'll say to people when we talk about Jesus, Jesus is saying, just say what I've said to you. Say what you know of me. He's asking for loyalty. He says, the kingdom is here. Expect resistance. And are you with me? Are you with me? Are you with the one who has overcome the world? Who so trusted his father, who was so secure in who he was and his power and his authority that it says in Philippians, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Power is perfected in the one who humbled himself to die for us whilst we were still enemies. He went down to the point of death for you that you might reign in life with him. It starts with knowing the truth. It starts with knowing Jesus. It starts with confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It starts with acknowledging him. I wonder for some of us if we need to hear that and start again from the beginning right now. I wonder for some of us if we feel maybe disillusioned, um, maybe have listened to fear, listened to the suffering, heard that louder than we've heard Jesus. I wonder if this moment right now, you're hearing him and feeling him rest upon you. It starts with the confession of Christ. The word acknowledge kind of means confession. It means speaking him. It says in Romans 10.10, when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you'll be saved. Jesus, Judas did the mouth bit, but he never got to the heart. It never got to him there. And we can see that difference because there's another disciple that betrays Jesus. Um, Peter, actually, the one that Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church, actually betrays Jesus in a slightly less dramatic way. But when a servant girl and a few others ask him, who is this Jesus? He says, no, I don't know. I've never heard of him before in my life. He betrays Jesus. And yet Peter stays with him the whole time. What's the difference? They both betrayed him, right? They both let him down. The difference is they acknowledge who he is. They acknowledge who he is. When, uh, when Jesus says, what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. He knows who Jesus is. He's flawed and does things wrong, but he's acknowledged Jesus as the Lord of his life. There is power, there is authority. There are exciting things for us to do this term, but it all starts with knowing him. It all starts with experiencing him. And uh, I'd love to invite um, the band up and Matt will lead us into communion. Um, why don't we just take a moment as we, as we do this? Why don't you um, close your eyes just now? Um, let me pray for us. Uh, I'd encourage you, even if you've um, 
never committed your loyalty to Jesus before, let this be that moment. Maybe you feel like Peter, that you've let him down. Why don't you let this be the moment um, that you come back to him and confess in your heart, I know who you are, Jesus. I know who you are. Let me just pray for us. Thank you, Father, for your son. Thank you for your ultimate sovereign power that we can rest in. If we feel we're experiencing suffering, if we feel we're um, experiencing that resistance, if we feel fear, thank you we can rest in the ultimate sovereign power of your son. I pray you'd be with my brothers and sisters here by your spirit. I pray those that need uh, refreshing, those that need to know you again, those that need to spend a moment just confessing you. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died, rose again and ascended. I believe he was the son of God. I pray you just come reveal yourself to those people right now. I pray that we'd be acknowledging you together in your mighty name. Amen.